Reuben. He says to Reuben, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, my first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. And so here Reuben is sitting at the foot of his father's bed as his father is dying and his father begins to speak over him. It's like Jacob is tricking Reuben. He starts off by admonishing him or encouraging him or or showing to him, hey, you are a strong man and all of your first fruits are my strength. You're preeminent in dignity and power. I wonder if Reuben in that moment thought he had gotten away with what he had done years prior. Like I wonder in that moment, he was like, oh, thank you that this senile old man forgot what I've done. He's going to bless me. But then we see Jacob share the rest of the blessing, and it's no blessing at all. It is a curse that will be upon Reuben and the Reubenites for the rest of their days. He says this, though you are preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, he says this in verse 4, but you are unstable as water, and you shall have no preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, and you went up to my couch. We remember what Reuben did. Remember what Reuben did in, in chapter 35. In chapter 35, remember that Reuben slept with his father's wife. And so he had thought he had gotten away with it. And he thought that Reuben thought, hey, I'll just keep living this life without repentance, and I'll get to the end of my life and receive a blessing. But what Jacob does is he says, I remember your sin. And because I remember your sin, the blessing will not really be a blessing. It will truly be a curse. What happens is this. Because he's unstable in all of his ways, all of his descendants will have no preeminence or they have no power for the rest of their days. We see that to be true in the rest of the Bible. The, the, the plan of Reuben It's basically no more, though he still is one of the sons of Israel. So then Jacob goes on to the next two brothers, Simeon and Levi. And I wonder what those two brothers were thinking. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, this is not going to end well for us either. Because you remember what happens and what Simeon and Levi did. Remember that Simeon and Levi in chapter 34 had gone into the city and killed the entire city because of what that city had done to their sister. They had murdered everyone that was disobedient to God. God did not tell them to murder the city. Not only did they murder the city, but they plundered everything they had and they took their children into captivity. So I wonder if in that moment after Jacob had blessed Reuben, that Simeon and Levi took one of those moments of like, uh-oh. That long swallow that you do when you know trouble is coming or punishment is coming. And then they waited to hear the words that would come to them. Because they knew they were disqualified as well. And Jacob musters his strength again and speaks this over these two brothers at the same time. He says, to them, you are weapons of violence, or your swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and their willingness 
They hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger. For it is furious and their wrath, for it is cruel. I have divided them from Jacob and scattered them from Israel. What that simply means is this. Remember what the promise was. That the promise back in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 was that God would multiply and that God would give the promised land to God's chosen people. But what happens here in this text is this. Because of their disqualification, because of their sin, these two brothers and all of their people would never own property in the promised land. They would go into the promised land, but the promised land would never be theirs. A result would be they would be nomadic at best. And at the end of Simeon's life, the end of the Simeonites, they become a tribe of Judah. They get swallowed in. They pretty much are no longer a tribe at the end of their journey. So they'll never own land. And then if you remember Levi and who his descendants are, they are the Levites. The Levites were the priests of the land. And remember, the priests of the land could never own any land. Now, I'm going to get to the application in the text, how there's promise, even in these brothers being disqualified. So we see right off the bat, three brothers are disqualified, the three oldest children. And now we'll move into the qualified brothers. I'll come back to Judah, so mark in your Bibles that we're going to come back to him at the end. Because I believe this is the best and greatest blessing out of all the blessings in the text. So he moves on to the qualified brother. He moves on in verse 13 to Zebulon. Zebulon was one of the older, the older brothers of the concubines. And I'll go fast through these brothers. But Zebulon would become prominent and prosperous by the sea. That's what the text says. If you wonder, like, what does all that mean? It simply means that they will dwell at the sea and they will become prosperous. Issachar will become a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfold. What that simply means is that they will live in a fertile land. But here's what happens to them in living in the fertile land. They get comfortable living there. And they become slaves to other people. And so Jacob is saying, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to live in a great land, but in living in a great land, you'll be content and comfortable. And then you'll sell your soul to other people. I wonder, church, how true often that is for us. God has blessed us so many ways here in America, has he not? And I wonder how often we get so comfortable. You know, the church, universal church, where it's experiencing the most growth in the world is over in Asia. You know where the believer is getting most persecuted in the world? It's over in Asia. Something with persecution and growth in the church go hand in hand. And I, I have seen and we have seen we here in America are getting comfortable. I pray it does not take persecution for us to fall back in love with God. My great fear is that it will. But we'll continue on. Then he goes on to Dan and he says to Dan, you will be the judge or you will be a mighty people. You, you will 
uh, be the warrior people of the tribe. You will protect all of Israel. Dan was the smallest of all 12 of the tribes of Israel. But they were the warriors of the tribe of Israel. If you remember and move forward in Judges, Judges talks about those warriors. The most famous of all the judges of all the, the, the Danites is Samson. Samson was from this tribe. Remember how powerful a warrior Samson was. Remember what Samson did. Samson killed in one moment with the jawbone of a donkey a thousand Philistines. At the end of his life, because he cared so much for who God was and what God was all about, and that these men, the, the Philistines, were coming against the people of God, remember what Samson did. He pushed the pillars of the temple and killed himself and all the people because he was a warrior for God. Jacob moves on to Gad, Asher, and Natali, verses 19 through 21. These three tribes would experience hope, prosperity, and be victorious in all that they did. That's what that text says. And now let us move to the favorite son and the favorite wife, Joseph and Benjamin. I'll hold Joseph to the end as well. We're going to look at Joseph and then Judah at the very end, the distinguished brothers. But let's look at Benjamin. What he says, the blessing he speaks over Benjamin. He says to Benjamin in verse 27, Benjamin is a ravish wolf. In the morning, devouring the prey, and at the evening, dividing the spoil. What does that mean? It means that from his people would, become, would come ravenous people. Two of the most famous people in all the Bible come from this tribe. The two Saul's of the Bible. The first king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin. And remember how wicked, wicked Saul was. He was a ravenous wolf. If you move forward, his great, 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 great grandson was Saul of Tarshish. And he was a ravenous wolf before he came to know Christ, was he not? His whole goal was to eliminate every Christian. And so here... Jacob is saying to Benjamin, the people that will come from you will, will be ravenous people. But now let's go to the distinguished brothers. First, let's go to Joseph. Remember, Joseph was the favorite son of all the sons. Joseph was the one that Jacob had given the coat of many colors to. Joseph was the one that was held esteem, held high, and all the other brothers hated him. And even now at the end of his life, the, the longest blessing of all the blessings comes to Joseph. It, it covers more verses than any other of the brothers. And what does Jacob, and how does Jacob bless Joseph? Five times you can see in the text in verses 23 through 26 that Jacob blesses his favorite son. But in the blessing, he, Jacob is reminding Joseph about what God had done for him in his life, that God had never left him, that God had never forsaken him, that God was the one, that his mighty hand would be the one that took him from captivity all the way to second in command. Not only does he remind him 
of what God had done for him, but he also reminds him of who God is. Five things that he says about God to Joseph as a reminder and a blessing. Those five things are found in the text. The first one is this. He says to Joseph, remember who God is. God is the mighty one. What that means is that God is the one that's in control of all things. And so this blessing can be a reminder to us, church, today, first and foremost, that he is the mighty one. He is in control. Amen? God, this last year, did not go on a sabbatical. God did not take vacation. It was not like God was in heaven and thought, man, I I need some time off. I'm going to send this pandemic to the world and just kind of sit back and I'll wake up when I wake up. God has been the mighty one over the last year. He is in control of all things. Not only is he the mighty one, does Jacob says, he's also the shepherd. We looked at that last week. The shepherd means he's the protector and the provider. So he's in control of all things. And he's one that's protecting us and providing all of our needs. And then he says this, not only is he the mighty one, not only is he the shepherd, but he is the stone of Israel. What does it mean to be the stone of Israel? What that means is a word picture. When you think of a stone, I don't mean one of those stones you put in your backyard to, to hold in a fire. I mean a huge boulder. Boulders cannot be moved. And what Jacob is reminding Joseph is, We serve a God who cannot be moved, amen? There's nothing that moves God off of his promises except himself. Nothing in your life, nothing in my life can move the promises of God from our lives. No sin that you cause, no sin that you do. If God has a blessing for you, he's going to bring it to fruition, amen? He is our boulder, he is our rock. He cannot be moved. The last two things he says is he is the God of your father. That is a reminder that he is a covenantal God or a God that's in relationship with us. You see, it's one thing to be the mighty God. It's one thing to be a shepherd. It's one thing to be a stone. It's a whole nother thing to be in relationship with that God. Like he's not a distant God. He is a God that's right with us every step of the way. He's made a covenant to be with us every step step of the way. Amen. Thank God we have a relational God, a God that we can go to and a God that comes to us. And then he bookmarks it. It says again, not only is the mighty one, but he is the almighty one. Again, that is a name to remind us of his might, his power and his control. So that's the blessing that he pours out to Joseph, the favorite son. But now for the rest of the sermon, I want to look at probably in the text, in my opinion, the greatest blessing that was spoken to any of the sons, the son of Judah. Remember who the son of Judah was. Remember Judah was the one that turned his back on Joseph. Remember all the things that Judah had done. He was not a kind man. But God had a promise back in Genesis chapter 3 that in Genesis chapter 3 that God would bring a seed, and that seed would crush the serpent, that that seed would be victorious, that that seed would reign supreme 
over all things. And we would come to the text, we'd come to the story and think, surely God's going to put that on to Joseph. Surely the, the, the lineage of the kingship's going to come from that man. But remember what Isaiah says, God's ways are not our ways. The way God's economy works is not how our economy works. And God in his goodness, God in his sovereignty chose Judah for the line of the kingship to come through. And he says this in verse 8. Turn with me. We see a handful of things that will be true for this brother. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness who dares to arouse him, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of all the people, binding his fowls to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his vesture in blood of grapes. His eyes were darker than wine and his teeth were whiter than milk. What does this mean? What is this blessing about? This blessing is all about the Messiah, which we'll celebrate in two weeks. But we see at least six things that this blessing is to Judah. The first blessing is this, that all of Judah's brothers would come and bow down to him. That all the brothers, remember the, the, the dream that Joseph had, that all the brothers would bow down to him. Now at the end of Jacob's life, he says to Judah, all of your brothers will bow down to you. You will rule over your brothers. We'll see that come true. He said not only that, but all of your enemies you'll have victory over. There's not one enemy that will defeat you. He said you'll be a lion. You will be king, if you will. He says then the fourth thing is that the scepter will never leave his hand. The scepter was a thing that was given to kings to show the kingdom who was in charge. And he says, that scepter will never leave your hand, Judah. Then he says, not only that, all the people, not only will they bow down before you, but they will obey you. And then he says he'll ride on a colt or a donkey's colt. And then he will make his garments and wash his garments with wine. What does all that mean? This all points us to the greater Judah, Christ Jesus. This is a messianic promise. This is a messianic blessing that shows us that through the line of Judah, the promise that God made back in Genesis would be fulfilled. And it's going to be fulfilled, not of the other 11 brothers, but through this one man, Judah. Christ is the greater Judah. From the line of Judah came King David, the greatest king that Israel had ever seen. But even King David knew that to be a king greater than him. You can read the Psalms. And even King David pointed everything that he did back to who? Christ. So how is 
Christ, the greater Judah. We see these five things, if not more, be fulfilled in Christ, in Christ alone. The first one is this, that from the line of Judah, all the world will bow down before him. Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 2. He says, so at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The whole world will bow before Christ Jesus because he is the king. In Christ Jesus, he is victorious over the enemy. Amen. That promise is fulfilled in Christ. Christ has crushed the head of the serpent. We know that what is one of the names of Christ. We sang it this morning. Oh, he is what? The lion of Judah. He is the lion. We know this to be true about Christ Jesus. There's never been a moment in all of history that the scepter has left his hand. He's always reigned over all the earth, even when he came to earth and became fully man. He still reigns. He said at any moment I could call the legions down to protect me. But he chose to lay the scepter down. It was never taken from him. This is also true about God, that all the people, not only will they one day worship him, they will obey him. The people in hell that are dying in hell still must obey God. There's no party going on in hell. People think, oh, I'll go to hell and just live it up. It's not like Pinocchio. Like It's ongoing torment in hell, but they still must obey Christ. And we see this fulfillment, these last two. How did Christ Jesus come into Jerusalem to begin Holy Week? Riding on a donkey. That promise was made back in Genesis chapter 50. It's told to us again throughout the Old Testament, but the first place it's ever mentioned is here that Christ Jesus would ride a donkey. And he fulfilled that promise. The next thing that many scholars believe is a fulfillment of is where it talks about the wine, it talks about the grape. This is to speak of Christ's first miracle. Do you remember Christ's first miracle? It was with his mother and his brothers at a wedding. And at a wedding, they ran out of wine. And what did he, his mother comes frantically running to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. And he says, woman, what do you want me to do? And she says, we need wine. And he said, well, fill up all the pitchers with water. And then he blessed the water and the water turned into what? Wine, the greatest wine. And many scholars, I believe this to be true. That is the fulfillment of the first miracle that Jesus ever did. But it was prophesied back in Genesis chapter 50. Now, all this is great. But what does this have to do with us, the church, you, the believer, and the unbeliever? First, I will speak to the unbeliever in the room. Whether you like it or not, Christ is the greater Judah. Christ is the king. And my hope for you, my prayer for you, if you do not know Christ the king, that you would surrender your will and your life to him this morning. 
Because the promise is true. One day you will bow down to him, like it or not. And we as a church, the believer, wish that you would bow down before all of eternity, not after. You will bow down before him. But to us, the believer, what does this passage have to do with us? I think first and foremost, we must not look at ourselves like Judah. We first and foremost look look at ourselves like the disqualified brother. Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. We are way more like them than any other of the brothers in the text. But even in this blessing, though it was a curse, what is still true about those three brothers, they were still part of the line of Jacob. They were not kicked out of the family. And God used them in tremendous ways. And God, at the end, redeemed their lives the way he can us as well. Do we believe that, church? That nothing you can do can disqualify you from God's love. My prayer is this. For us here at the church. That though we may be like Reuben, though we may be like Simeon, though we may be like Levi, and Zebulon, and Issachar, and Dan, and Asher, that we will be reminded that God's promises are just as true for them as they are to us. That God will be with us. That He will be for you and He will be for me the Mighty One, the Shepherd, the Stone, the covenantal relational God that holds all things, especially you and I, in his hands. Will we surrender to God today before we are forced to surrender to God? May God's blessings and promises come true for us. He is with us. He loves us. And he never forsakes us. Let us pray. God, in the same way that you poured out your blessing on these brothers, that the fulfillment really came through Judah, that you, Christ Jesus, are the king that reigns forever and ever and ever. And through you, Christ Jesus, we can enter into your kingdom and receive all the blessings of your kingdom. I pray that we would do that now, that we would bow and worship to you today. Because the promise is, Lord Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. But may we do that before we bow, so that in doing that we can receive all the blessings that you so richly pour out on your people. Continue to lead us and guide us as a church. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise for the benediction this morning. Now to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace be with you today.